Welcome, everybody, to today's show. We have another fire episode that is sure to stretch your mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't always plan on uh, throwing the kitchen sink at you, but this one was too good to resist. Del Bigtree from The High Wire with Del Bigtree is our guest today on today's show. His YouTube channel was recently taken away from him. So, again, who is uh, controversial? Who is pushing the envelope of what we currently know and think about? The world at large, and in this case, what we currently think and know about Western medicine. Uh, Delby Tree was a producer on the show The Doctors out in California and was consistently bringing on guests that were pushing the envelope in the alternative and functional medicine space. Eventually, this led him to want to seek out and understand things on a much deeper level. We talk uh, vaccines. We talk all sorts of stuff on this episode, and we go really, really deep. And there's a ton more information you can get over at his website, which we'll link to in the show notes. And of course, his podcast, which is still available everywhere, uh, Del Big Trees High Wire, is phenomenal. He, one of the um, best episodes I've ever seen was a YouTube video he had done with Dr. Zach Bush and they had some incredible video overlays. It's, it's super unfortunate that that's gone. I think it might be available on his website, but long story short, this episode is fire. And as I mentioned before, Mickey's episode, table your inner critic for 24 hours. And as you listen to this, let it sink in. And then as you want to know more, go through his website. There is a ton of science there, a ton of medical doctors, and a ton of people that are supporting anything and everything that he's talking to me about on this podcast. And now more than ever, probably pretty important to become educated on these issues. So check this one out. I know you guys are going to dig it. And then anything that you vibe with or don't vibe with, hit me up at Living with the Kingsburys in the DMs, and we can take this conversation a little bit further. There are a number of ways you can support this podcast. Number one, click subscribe. That helps you to never miss a single episode. Number two, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life. And number three, help support us by helping out and purchasing some of these products we have from our sponsors because they make this show financially possible to keep going. We are brought to you today by Sovereignty. Sovereignty makes a product called Purpose, which is my absolute favorite nootropic slash energy drink ever created. It comes in a single pack that you just cut the top off of and mix it with water. It tastes great and it is phenomenal. It's got 75 milligrams of organic caffeine and 75 milligrams of time-released caffeine. So you get a quick little bump and then a little bit slower release over the course of the next four to five hours. In addition to that, they've included some incredible nootropics like Bacopa as well as CGN. CGN is a cannabinoid that affects the brain positively and can help with language recall, memory, and everything we need for cognitive enhancement. And there's a number of adaptogenic herbs in there that also help with oxygenating the brain and giving yourself more energy. These guys stand by their product so much that they're doing your favorite money back guarantee. Now, it's important here, guys. It's important that you use the URL in this because the money-back guarantee only works with the URL. So Sovereignty.co slash Kyle, and I'll spell that out for you. Sovereignty.co slash Kyle will get you in on this favorite money-back guarantee. What they will do is they're going to give you 100% of your money back if you don't like it. And in addition to that, they will buy you your favorite supplement. That's how much these guys stand by their product. And I back their product that much. It's my favorite thing to take pre-podcast. I'm on it right now, and it's got me rocking and rolling. Head over to S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O slash Kyle and grab my favorite CGN. Sovereignty.co slash Kyle. We are also brought to you today by Bioptimizers. 
These guys are incredible. They make all sorts of amazing products from digestive enzymes to probiotics to things that help you in ketosis or carnivore, paleo diets. But one of my absolute favorites is their magnesium breakthrough. And this is something that has a lot to do with feeling tired and needing to straighten out. I mean, I've, I've been taking this since we had our newborn and prior. There's a lot of ways that we try to manage ourselves from what we do at work, at home, with family and friends. And it's no wonder we're so tired. We take care of a lot of different things. We have a lot of responsibilities as adults. But if you really stop to think about it, who takes care of you? Well, Magnesium Breakthrough is an all-natural supplement that helps you reduce fatigue, sleep more peacefully, manage stress, and strengthen muscle weakness. It even improves your heart and brain function. These are big, big, big things in my world. Magnesium chelate helps with muscle strength, recovery, and health. Magnesium malate to help with headaches, chronic pain, and depression. And magnesium l 3 to improve brain function, including short and long-term memory. And a host of other bioavailable forms of magnesium, all under one product, so if you want to feel stronger, more energized, and get the best night's sleep you've ever had forever, check out www.bioptimizers.com slash Kingsboo and use code word Kingsboo10. You'll get an additional 10% off your next order. Two things to remember, bioptimizers.com slash Kingsboo, promo code Kingsboo10 at checkout in all caps. And this is just, uh, this is phenomenal. Again, use that code word Kingsboo10 that lets them know you came from my podcast and it gets you an additional 10% off. We are also brought to you by One Farm. One Farm is making the best CBD products on the planet. They are a 100% USDA certified organic farm up in Colorado. They use 100% CO2 extraction, and they make some of my favorite tinctures to date. It's full spectrum, which includes the tiniest amount of THC, which is legal in that amount, 0.3%. In addition to that, all the terpenes and alkaloids you'd find in the plant the way Mother Nature intended, full spectrum. In addition to that, they're not adding anything nasty, no artificial anything, just natural flavors and MCT oil in the base of their tinctures, which my entire family has used for months on end. In addition to that, they have night night serums, facial creams, uh, chapstick, and a whole host of other awesome products over there. If you go to onefarm.com slash Kyle, you'll get 15% off your entire order. That's onefarm.com slash Kyle. 15% off everything in the store. And last but not least, we are brought to you today by Dry Farm Wines. These guys are absolutely phenomenal. They make some of the best wine on the planet. They source it from all over the world, from South Africa to Germany, Europe, and everywhere in between. They find single origin family farms that are doing non-irrigation. That means it's a dry farm. So the wine Roots have to go all the way down deep into the ground, 30 feet sometimes, to find a water table. And all along that process, organically sifting through the dirt, they become stronger and stronger. That means it's increasing things like polyphenols, in addition to resveratrol and all sorts of the things that we get from delicious, good, organic wine. In addition to that, there is nothing nasty added. There's no added sulfites or nothing else. There's no red dyes. There's one gram of carbohydrate per bottle. You heard that right. One gram of carbohydrate per bottle. So if you want to have a little alcohol then still feel good the next day, Dry Farm is the only way. And if you go to dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle, you're going to be able to get a subscription, and an extra bottle for a penny. Dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle. Check it out. Uh, you'll see my beautiful mug up there. And without further ado, my good friend and somebody who I've learned a lot from over the years, Del Bigtree. Perfect. <laughs> 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 
Well, thanks for making it out to the house. I know we had some adjustments to make on the fly here, but uh, it's awesome to get you here. And you've been somebody that I've learned from for a long time. You've been a truth teller, a truth seeker. Um, you know, I, I really can't thank you enough, to be perfectly honest. And uh, I, I talked about this. I don't want to mention too much about... Uh, you know, our kids or any of that stuff, but yeah. I had met you in a, in a, in a spot locally yes. alongside Mickey Willis and yeah. was, you know, just like, man, I'm in the twilight zone right now. Like, this yeah. is so cool. This is such a cool experience that here we are. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I sent to more people than I could possibly imagine was the YouTube video you did with, um, Dr. Zach Bush. Yeah. Highwire. Yeah. And such a powerful gripping video. Yeah. Really powerful. Um, but let's backtrack and then we'll bring us up to speed. Sure. Um, you were a producer for CBS? Yeah. Right? So I, you know, started out and was in Hollywood, had a screenplay, was running around, you know, directing music videos and things like that. And I kind of backed my way into daytime talk. I had a friend, started out with a friend, just called me. I mean, I was out shooting man on the street interviews and things like that. And a buddy called and said, Hey, you know, look, I know you're looking for work. You want to come? We need an extra camera guy for the Dr. Phil show. So I was like, sure. Yeah. So I, that's how it all kind of started. You know how life is what happens while you're making plans, you know? <laughs> so I started out freelance with Dr. Phil over the couple of years. I ended up on staff as a field producer. So I was flying around for Dr. Phil, interviewing all these incredibly outrageous stories <laughs> and families. And, uh, um, and then Dr. Phil created this show with his son called The Doctors Medical. It was the first ever real medical talk show with a panel of four doctors and so I was in at the very beginning of that. In fact, I was teamed up with the brand new executive producer that was going to sort of run that show. And I was the field producer running around and for the first time seeing how would we shoot surgeries. So I was in shooting surgeries all to try and develop how that show would work. And so it was pretty cool. Um, and so I spent six years on The Doctors. I won an Emmy Award uh, as a producer on that show. Um, celebrating the best that science has to offer, you know, best cutting edge techniques, new surgeries, new technologies, even drugs, things like that. Um, and so, but while doing that show, what was, there's seven producers that make a show like, at least on, on the doctors. So you have to, you know, you have to make enough episodes to fill a year. So we'd shoot about seven episodes a week, you know, and, um, and sort of, I think in the end, it was about somewhere between 150 and 170 episodes. So every week I had to produce a show and I was one of the more controversial producers. Um, my, if you ask the legal team for the doctors, like the, you know, the head lawyer would always joke at the, you know, cast party. She's like, you cost us a fortune. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I mean, you're always challenging big business, huge industries. I was always doing shows that really ask questions. Anytime where there's a company making billions of dollars like Merck or Pfizer or, or Monsanto, and, and they had a product that was like just being, you know, touted as just great for humanity, I'm a little skeptical. And so I would investigate stories like that. And so I did a lot of things that were controversial on that line. And because of that, I had inside sources, you know, doctors and surgeons and people that were maybe not fully, um, were aware that there was issues in every establishment. And that's, and that's sort of what changed my life. What happened was I ended up having a doctor I'd worked with reached out to me, um, 
and said, you remember when we were having that conversation about autism and vaccines? And I said, yeah. He said, and you said that the doctors would never cover that story because the doctors believe that vaccines don't cause autism, you know, as a show principle. I was like, right. And I had said to him at that time, look, I'm always interested in a good story. And if this is something that you're focused on, if there's a big change, if something happens that really changes that story, let me know. Um, because I'm, you know, I'm certainly interested in it. And so he said, well, uh, I'm calling you. That was a year ago we talked. He's like, there's a huge thing that's about to take place. I go, what's that? He said, there's a whistleblower inside of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that is about to come forward and tell the world that they've committed scientific fraud on the vaccine safety studies, and specifically the MMR autism studies that were done between 2000 and 2004 at the CDC. Um, and I said, okay, that's... I mean, it's a huge story, right? And, and for any journalist, doesn't matter who you are. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. For me, I just thought that's the biggest medical story in my lifetime. If, if that's true, if the CDC, government, you know, the probably the biggest health agency in the world, the most powerful health agency in America, if they've been lying to the people and vaccines actually cause autism, and there's a, now a scientist inside that's going to give us proof, it doesn't get bigger than that. You know, and so I went and pitched that to my executive producers and they basically laughed, said, are you effing crazy? We are not going to do a story that challenges the CDC. You know, they're friends of ours. They let us in behind the scenes when there's a flu outbreak or, you know, and Pfizer and Snopey and all of these Merck. We do commercials for them. We get funding from them. This is just not a story you're going to cover, Dallas. And okay. Um and I suppose, I mean, I remember calling my uh, AP, my associate producer, into the room. And I said, look, I want you to follow this story. I want, I want you to watch. She was young, just out of college, basically, really sharp um, girl. And I said, um, I want you to watch something. This story may break in about two weeks. I'm told this guy's going to come out online. He's going to break this story. Watch and see how many people actually report on it. You're about to watch something really crazy. If this story is as big as I think it is, it should be mainstream news, should be everywhere. Just track what happens. Uh, and, and sort of as I suspected, it came out. You know, this guy's online. He's, you know, there's recorded interviews where he's saying, I can't believe we did what we did. We hid statistically significant information. Every time I see a child with autism, I feel guilty, you know, um, and crickets. Nobody covered it. I mean, I was shocked. Nobody. Even CNN had iReport at that time where someone, you know, you could just report things on CNN's website that you thought were interesting. Somebody put the story up on iReport and CNN took it down. And I realized even more than I had recognized prior to then that this is there's a big cover up going on. For some reason, this is a story that just can't be told. Now, I might not have pursued that story, except that at that same time, and this is sort of that this is where my spiritual life and my working life sort of collide at times, you know, and you find yourselves in a in a position. I was really you know, struggling with the fact that I was working on a show. I was super interested by a whistleblower story that I had to jump on. I even said to my executive producers, I want you to know that I had this story before anybody else. I mean, we may not do it, but if it breaks out somewhere else, just know that I was here first, you know. And uh, But I get a call in my office one day. This is a few weeks later. And um, 
I had a, you know, there's like seven segments or in a, in an episode of a show. And I had one of my segments had dropped out. The story didn't pan out. So we had pulled it from my show and it had to air in two days. And so sometimes there'll be extra segments being recorded. And I get a call from the stage at Paramount Studios and they say, come on over the stage. We're taping a piece that's going to go into your show um, for, for release. It's like, okay. So I run over and you're just going to make really quick notes so you can edit it really quick and just throw it right into your show. So I go over the stage and out walks onto the stage, Senator Richard Pan, um, who sits down with Travis Stork and I think it was um, one of the other doctors and starts pitching this law that he's written, SB 277, that's going to take the rights away from all parents uh, who don't vaccinate their children, that any child that's going to be in a public or private school is going to have to be vaccinated. Um, And I was watching that and to be perfectly transparent, now is I wasn't vaccinated as a child. I wasn't vaccinated my kids. And it wasn't that I had some deep scientific understanding of it. It was just how I was raised. I was healthy, seemed fine, you know what I mean? And that's how I was going to raise my kids. We didn't, you know, we didn't have aspirin in my house. We don't have Tylenol. Like, I'm just not a drug person. I don't, you know, I really was raised with more natural health. Um, So I was sitting watching Senator Pan pitch the story. And for me, personally that's the end of my world that's like i'm the last of the mohicans this guy's saying people like you will not be allowed on this planet any longer and certainly my kids it's going to close out on them they won't be in schools and and then ultimately take away their rights to not be injected with you know what i see as toxic chemicals and um and that's really what lit the fire i sat there in that moment thinking there's no way this is going into a show with my name on it. I mean, I'll quit today if they force me. I mean, I had a really great relationship with my executive producers, but I just was thinking to myself, if for some weird reason, they're just set on putting this in my show, I'm going to have to really lay out that it'll never happen. I, I ended up talking my way out of it in about 30 seconds. I just said, that was like, 10 minutes long. I have a two minute spot. There's no reason to pack that into my show. They said, Oh yeah, you're a good point. We'll find something else. But it just at, from that moment on, I really started feeling like I was out of place. And I really had a moral objection for the first time to the principle of the show up until that point. Love what I did. They let me sort of challenge from the inside, brought in all sorts of stories of acupuncture instead of uh, anesthesia. And, you know, I, I was really venturing, pushing the envelope for a, a medical talk show into that sort of more functional uh, medicine space and, and having fun doing it. But this was eating at me. And I finally, um, one day I was sitting in my office and and I really just was overcome. I'd been doing a lot of work over the years. I'd always felt like there was something I was supposed to be doing, that I was on this earth for a purpose. Um, and I think that's partly socialized. I mean, my parents raised me. I was meditating at five years old. And, you know, there was a lot. My father's a, a new age minister, but meditation was a really big part of our lives. And so, and they raised me to believe that I could make a difference in the world. So I think those things, you know, add into that. But I just, even with this great job and winning Emmy Awards, um, there was something I was supposed to be doing that wasn't it. My friends would complain. They'd say, you know, Dell, why are you complaining? You, I mean, 
dude, you've, you're like, you've got the like successful life. You have an Emmy award in your house. I mean, I said, it's not that I'm not appreciative. I'm just, there's something I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not doing it yet. I haven't found what that thing is exactly. And so I was sitting in my office uh, in the middle of all of these stories going and Senator Richard Pan was running with this law through California. And I really just prayed. I sat in my office and really got clear, sat and meditated. And I just, held the thought i'm so appreciative for my life i have a house now it was looking grim for many years waited tables forever trying to get things happen now i have a family i've got kids I have a house my life is very blessed but i just said you know god i i feel like i'm supposed to be doing something about the the destruction of freedom for people that believe in natural health. I feel like I'm supposed to be telling this whistleblower story and I'm in the one place I can't touch either of these stories. And yet I have all this ability to make science make sense to people to really get to the bottom of this in a way that nobody knows how coming from uh, a natural health place that nobody knows about, but having really understood the science, you know, and I just felt like I'm supposed to be in there. And I just held the thought show me the way you know i need i need vision right now and 30 seconds later my phone rings in my office and it's this um publicist who i'd met a couple of times and she said hi dallas is um donna i said yeah oh hi she says do you know who dr andy wakefield is and i said yes now, for people that don't know who that is, that's like the big, probably the most controversial doctor in the world. He's the famous doctor in England, the British doctor that first made this accusation that the MMR vaccine was causing autism. He had his career stripped from him. He lost his license. I mean, it's one of the biggest stories around this vaccine issue there is. And so I said, yeah, I, I know who he is. She said, would you like to meet him? I said, yes, definitely. Now, I didn't know what this guy was like. I'd heard all the stories everyone else had. His, you know, he lied, he, he committed fraud on the famous study, all of these things. But I still always thought it's weird that this guy's name comes up every time this vaccine discussion happens. That's, it's, he's like the longest running news story in the history of the world. I've never seen one person blamed for, we are now 10 years out from whatever that fraudulent study was, yet every time, even Senator Richard Pan coming on the show, any question about could a vaccine be dangerous, they always say, well, that, that was that British doctor, as though there's only one man on the planet that's ever questioned it. Never made sense. And I always wanted to, I just thought to myself, I want to meet that guy. I have to meet that guy. I'll know when I meet him, whether or not what they say about him is true, you know, so it was really, you know, I was kind of excited. And, and Donna says to me, she's like, well, he's going to be here in three days. He's doing a meeting in the Hollywood Hills, very private event. I have to know that you're going to show up, you know, and I said, Donna, if you knew when you just called me, you would know I would skip a family wedding to be there today. <laughs> like, I mean, this is, this, it's beyond uncanny. I really was like, this is it. Something's happening. Something really powerful is about to happen. So I went to this meeting. I immediately had done my research. I saw Andy's wife. I ran over and said, hi, I'm Del Bigtree. I'm a producer on the daytime talks with the doctors. I really would like to speak with uh, Dr. Wakefield. And she later laughed and said, you know, we were told that there's going to be a Hollywood producer, you know, at this. His name's Del Bigtree, but he doesn't want anyone to know who he is or what's going on. And she's like, and as soon as he met me, you just blurred out. I work for CBS from Paramount Studios. So anyway, 
I met Andy. Um, we started talking in the backyard about vaccines. And if you, I don't know if you've ever met Andy. I have not. Oh, he, you, you should get him on, on to, to do an interview too. But he's one of these people that takes about maybe two minutes max before you realize this is one of the most beautiful human beings you're ever going to meet. One of the smartest people you'll ever meet. And just grounded and connected and soft-spoken and brilliant. And I was just totally taken and thought, oh, this whole thing's a hoax. This guy's this guy's the real deal, you know? And so I was talking to him. He said, yeah, you got to stop these vaccine laws here in California. This is really, really dangerous for humanity, for children. And then somebody walks over. We were like 45 minutes. We're talking and there's a line gathering. People are getting pissed. So whatever the 50 people that were there to meet him, I don't know why they're there. I just, the, the, he's in some backyard in, you know, Hollywood. So somebody runs over and says, hey, Andy, you got to do your pitch. And I was like, pitch, what are they talking about? And so he gets literally up on like a soapbox in this backyard and he starts talking about SB 277. I was like, right, that makes sense. He's, he's, he's against this law and, you know, you really have to do something to stop it. And then he said, you know, the thing that I'm, the reason I'm here is I'm working on a film that I really think can make a difference on this. For the last year, I have been working with the the recorded interviews of Dr. William Thompson, the whistleblower at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that's just come forward and said they're committing scientific fraud and vaccine safety studies. I mean, I understand that. I mean, you can't imagine, you really can't describe a moment like that. You've, you've seen it in movies, right? It's like the clouds part, the sunbeam comes down and hits you. There's that focus pole where the whole background goes blurry and you're standing there thinking, I mean, I knew something was up when I got the call. This guy is making a documentary, the one the, about the whistleblower, the guy I wanted to, like I said, I want to be in on that. And so I remember thinking, when he finished up, you know, Dell, you know, those people that come up to you and they say, I had a dream. I had a dream that we were going to do something together or, but you know, you immediately think this person's a lunatic. And I just thought to myself, don't be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so he came walking uh, in the yard. I said, Andy, look, it's, I'm really interested in your film. Where is it at? What do you need? And he said, well, I'm almost finished. I need a music soundtrack and I really need a distribution company that will put it out. I said, okay. So the next day I called the one musician that, you know, does Terrence, you know, does soundtracks for Terrence Malick and is like a really high caliber and just said, would you ever consider putting music into a documentary about vaccinations? And uh, he said, oh, you mean those things that are killing our children? I said, that's all I need to know. I'll call you back. <laughs> and then I called this uh, distribution company, uh, Cinema Libre, that I had danced with for years. We'd almost made movies several times, and I'd hooked other friends up, but they were just the one company they had made out. Foxed. They were not afraid of taking on controversial issues, Rupert Murdoch, all of these things. And I called them and said, would you ever consider a documentary directed by Dr. Andy Wakefield about vaccinations and a whistleblower at the cdc and they said dell if you're involved in it we'll look at it and you know obviously those you know we'll have to see that's a very controversial topic we're not afraid of it and so i called andy and said i think i can deliver both those things but i have to see this film and um so he said well fly down as soon as you're ready you can stay at my house and two days later i'm 
at his house in his basement. And I was watching this hour and 45 minute documentary at that point. And that feeling I'd had my whole life that I was supposed to do something was suddenly, you know, validated. In that moment, I watched this documentary that really needed, it was it was clearly made by a brilliant scientist, but I just thought no one's going to watch this. This is too deep in the weeds. It's every single detail, this case, everything this guy said, all the science behind. And I just thought there's a, I, you know, I am actually perfectly designed. And I thought in the moment, I don't think there's anyone on earth that is more perfectly designed to do what this film needs than me. Um, and it wasn't like an ego space. It was just, here I am a filmmaker that backs his way into medical television, something no one's ever done. I'm one of the best producers at it. I edit, I shoot, I do all the things myself. And now this film needed to be able to get through to people. And so I ended up spending a year with Andy re to his credit. He let me really cut it apart and, and rework it. And of course that became Baxed. Uh, we got accepted into the Tribeca film festival. And then we got unceremoniously kicked out. Even after Robert De Niro came forward and said, I have a child with autism. Everyone should see this film. And so that really set my life into a, totally different course where now all of a sudden I was in front of the cameras, not behind them and traveling the country, you know, talking about this whistleblower, talking about the fraud at the CDC. And I had, um, we bought a bus that had Vaxxed written on the side of it and parents started writing names. We started numbering each name that wrote like the child that had died from a vaccine or had been injured by a vaccine or maybe someone that had been injured themselves. And so this became this traveling memorial as we made our way around the country, screening the film at theaters that sometimes would be bomb threats. Sometimes the theater would cancel at the last minute. I mean, it was the most controversial film in the world. And I had never, you know, when you dream of being a filmmaker, I never dreamt that when I, I thought I was going to like do comedies or action flicks or something like that. I didn't know I was going to have a film that would be being attacked by mainstream media on a constant basis and doctors saying I was killing children and things like that. But um, as we traveled the country um, very early on, there were several blessings the technology changed periscope on twitter where you could shoot live video as though you were a broadcaster that that i think that came out like the day our film came out and somebody came up and said you should start just documenting your travel with this film interview parents that are having similar situations and so that's what we did we started documenting all these parents that were seeing the film that wanted to tell their story about their the vaccine injury in their family thousands and thousands of recorded um, interviews and as we were traveling the country I recognized it wasn't just the MMR vaccine. There were parents saying my child died right after a flu shot or my daughter was paralyzed after her HPV Gardasil vaccine. Two days, three days after, couldn't walk. She was a star athlete. You know, all of these stories piling up. And then, and I was doing Q&As every night after every screening. And, and the same question kept coming up. Dell, is it only the MMR vaccine, which is all this film is really about? Or is it, are there other vaccines? Are there, is there a safe vaccine? And I didn't have an answer to that question. And so 
I, that's when I started about the end of 2016. Our film released April of 2016. By the end of 2016, I wanted answers and I wanted to get back into a deeper investigation. So I started my nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network. Um, part of it was I met a lawyer that really saw the people don't recognize, many people don't know you can't sue a vaccine at all. It is per, it is totally protected from liability. So you can't sue the manufacturer if the product injures you or someone in your family. Um, you can't sue the doctor that delivers it. You can't sue the hospital. You can't sue the drugstore. If they you go to your you know your local, you know, CVS and they injure you with the vaccine, even by you know, giving it to you the wrong way, um, you can't sue anybody. And so that protection makes it really hard to get to the bottom of what's in the safety. And so I met a lawyer that had a way around some of that had really been thinking about this for several years and so we really teamed up to both have a legal strategy so we could really get the information and and an investigation to what was going on and I've been at that now for four over four years I think I'm the only journalist in the world that I know of that's ever been this focused on one product I mean we look at drugs I've you know I've of course report on Monsanto and glyphosate and talcum powder and Johnson and Johnson but really we've been focused on vaccines and even more specifically on one word we hear that vaccines are safe and effective I had one question are vaccines safe and how have they proven that they're safe. What is the science behind saying they're safe? And so that has been our quest to answer that question for the last four years. I now have a team of scientists all around the world. I have legal teams all around. I brought over two producers from CBS to do a weekly talk show that I've been doing for the last three years called The High Wire to show the world what we found. And we've won currently uh, multiple lawsuits against uh, U.S. government health agencies. We've won a lawsuit against the CDC, against the FDA, National Institute of Health, Health and Human Services. Uh, we're deeply involved in some lawsuits right now as we speak. We've even uh, affected the um, vaccine trials of the COVID-19 vaccine. Just um, two months ago, wow. we put forward a petition to the FDA and said, our nonprofit will not accept the statement of safety, essentially. If you make a statement, this vaccine is safe, we will come out against you if you do not have a saline placebo group, a true placebo in your third phase three trials, then we will deem that this vaccine is not safe. Now, remember, most people say, well, why do they care? Well, because we've already won a lawsuit against them. We've won against the CDC. The world's now starting to recognize the work that we're doing, and it's problematic for them. And within, I think, two to three days, Moderna, all of a sudden, next, like two days later, we saw a headline, Moderna stopping its phase three trial at the moment because of some mix-up at the FDA. And then the FDA came forward and said, there's going to be a one-to-one. One group will get the, the vaccine, and the other group will get a saline placebo. Uh, for the phase three trials, 30,000 people, 15,000 people getting saline placebos. And so, you know, people will say I'm anti-vaccine, but the truth is, is I'm just trying to get good science to be done. That's the gold standard for um, safety. The, the only way to establish safety in a pharmaceutical product is one group in a trial has to get, to get the product and the other group has got to get an inert placebo. If it's a pill, it's a sugar pill. If it's an injection, it's a saline injection. And what we had proven by the time this pandemic started was that no childhood vaccine that we give our children the 16 vaccines given in about 72 doses by the time you're 18, not one childhood vaccine had ever established safety using a double blind 
saline placebo-controlled study. So they bypassed the gold standard of establishing safety. Amongst many other problems, that's the big one. And so our children are part of a giant human experiment. Um, and that experiment was never properly started. It should have happened after you proved it was safe using placebos. They never did. And so people will say, well, yeah, but they are safe. We've been using them for years and years and years. This is the argument the CDC will make. Well, we don't need to have done those studies. Now we've been using vaccines for so long, they've proven to be safe. And I say, really? Because that's not what we see when we look at the health of our children. If the if we had the healthiest children in the world, as the United States of America were the, about the most vaccinated, then I'd say, okay, maybe maybe vaccines proved to be safe. Or if we had the healthiest generation of children we'd ever seen in America, okay, all these excess vaccines, they must have a benefit. But we see the opposite. One of the things that we I point out as I speak around the country is, Chronic illness rate was 12.8% um, in uh, 1980s. In the 1980s, we were getting 11 vaccines total by the time we we're 18. If you were born before 1986, then you got about you know 11, 10, 11 vaccines for your entire childhood, all the way up to 18. After 1986, after they took away liability, now the, it was a boom for the industry. Now our children are getting 72 vaccines. Um, in that same exact time period, we went from 12%, 12.8% chronic illness, meaning either a neurological or an autoimmune disease, a permanent lifelong disability in our children. 12.8% in the 1980s. Now that we give 72 vaccines by the time you're 18, that's gone up to 54% of our children in America have a chronic illness, either a permanent neurological disorder or an autoimmune disease. That is the greatest decline in human health in recorded history. We have never seen a population decline to the point where they cannot live on this planet. We're talking about deadly peanut allergies that didn't exist when we were kids. Asthma, you know, in one in six to one in 10 children. Um, one in six children has a speech delay. One in four children's leaving elementary school on a drug they're going to be on the rest of their lives. Um, we have more babies die on the first day of life in the United States of America than every other industrialized nation combined. Anyone can look up, and these are all CDC stats. More babies die on the first day of life, yet we're one of the only nations that gives a hepatitis B vaccine within the first 24 hours of life. You know, that doesn't Which make is sense. For- Intravenous drug use, correct. Or sexual activity, correct. It's the only it's, way that this can be This is this is, and by the way, a vaccine <clears throat> that we know doesn't last more than seven years. So I don't know about you, but my infant is not going to be sleeping with prostitutes inside of the first seven years of their lives. Hopefully, never. But that'd be a hell of an experience. That'd be a hell, you know. I mean, outrageous. So um, we have more women die during pregnancy in the United States of America than the 20 other richest nations in the world. And we give flu shots and DTaP vaccines now to pregnant women, which was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you knew to never give a vaccine to a pregnant woman, that her immune system is basically shut down so that the body doesn't fight the fetus. They're in a very vulnerable position. Now you're inciting their immune system into action. It makes absolutely no sense. So, those are the things, and I've been talking. You haven't asked. Any. I mean, I just kind Dude, of went I on a rant I, there. I won't fucking feed you, know? you softballs and let you go on more rants. That <laughs> but, was incredible. But um, so that's what you know. Really, the background of what what puts me in the middle of this conversation. So much there. Um, yeah, one of the things that was coming up for me 
was with uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan, who, mm-hmm. who you know, is, is uh, you know, somebody I've been following and somebody that you know very well. Um, he wrote a book, which I, I think I briefly mentioned in the podcast I just did with Mickey. Uh, for people who, you know, that was the first time I'd ever spoken on the podcast mm. about not vaccinating our children. Oh, okay. And, you know, we, I think, had made a post five years ago on Facebook, and that was the first time I got, you know, a boatload of outrage and um, people who have been programmed from Western medicine to sing a certain narrative. And through all of the shit, we realized, all right, we're going to avoid that topic. We'll keep that to ourselves. We'll push natural medicine and different books like uh, the Nourishing Traditions Book of Child and Baby Care, Mm -hmm. Sally Fallon and Thomas Cowan, which is excellent. Gives natural remedies, things like that. And, you know, uh, one of the things I mentioned you know, as I was mentioning that in Facebook, what was surprising to me outside of the amount of shit people were spewing on Facebook was how many DMs we got from people thanking us, yeah. saying their kids had been injured. Right. I was floored. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, on a daily basis, we'd read one and just tears would start flowing, like yeah. really powerful stuff. And still, because of that, still avoided it, even though yeah. um, we knew it was something that was important, at least for us. Right. And that, that, that unanswerable question that seems unanswerable from so many people that I would propose is if your kids are vaccinated and the vaccine works, what are you worried about? Yeah. My kid can't get your kid sick, but that's not a narrative we're diving into. That's, there seems to be cognitive dissonance when it comes to answering that question for people. Well, they, they've gotten around that question. I mean, they changed, they, they moved the goalpost, let, let, let's say on that. And because that, that argument used to work. When I mean, growing up not being vaccinated myself, you know, back I'm I'm 50 years old now. So when I was going into high school, you know, the high school, I remember sitting in the meeting with the principal. My high school, you know, uh, principal said, uh, "Well, we have a vaccine mandate here in Colorado, and you know, he he needs to be vaccinated to go to the school." They were looking at my records, and she said, "Yeah, but you know, we have exemptions." He said, "Well, well, I don't know that we want to." accept an exemption and she says well let me ask you this if your vaccines work and all the kids in this school are vaccinated then what risk is my son to the rest of the children in the school and he didn't have an answer for that right he just thought yeah i guess you're right and you know on into school i went and and i'd seen that work several times in fact that worked for everybody for decades about 10 years ago I think that that was getting to be a bigger and bigger problem. And there was more and more people starting to really question because there was such a decline in health. So many people now knew somebody that had an autistic child or someone that had a child with multiple sclerosis or leukemia. I mean, it's just like, and parents saying this all started right after this one vaccine or something. So I think they went to the drawing boards and said, we've got to get around this statement. If your vaccines work, then what risk is my child to yours? And that's when they really commandeered this idea of herd immunity, community immunity, and that, well, it's not the children that are vaccinated we have to worry about. It's those that can't be vaccinated. Those that are so immune 
compromised or the infants that can't be vaccinated as infants, they're the ones at risk from your child not being vaccinated. And so it became about really the sickest among us are now going to force all of us to be vaccinated so that we can protect that immune suppressed child. Uh, and it was really new. It's it's really a brand new argument that is inside of the last 10 years. And it was brilliant. It's hard to, it was hard to argue against. Like, well, I mean, okay, yeah, you do have children now. And, and by the way, as I pointed out, 54% of America's children now have autoimmune disease or neurological disorders. So inside of that are some really sick children. And so ironically, these children that, you could argue, and, and there's a lot of science shows that they are this immune compromised because of the vaccine program. Now the rest of the children have to be vaccinated in order to protect them. Um, and so, and you're seeing that now with COVID-19, right? This is the new mindset is that you have to wear a mask. We know you're not, we, your chance of getting, dying from COVID-19 is like 0. 0.00004, but there is that quarter of 1% that do die. And so it's your responsibility to wear a mask, your responsibility to keep six feet away, your responsibility to lock down because of their health. Um, and that's a huge shift in mindset. That's just the last 10 years. And it's affecting all of us right now. I'm personally responsible for your health, you know, even more than my own, because we know wearing masks isn't healthy. You should be breathing all the oxygen you, sh you can get. In fact, you want to be taking all the microbes and bacteria into your immune system, constantly priming your immune system. You're a guy that works out. Can you imagine suddenly being mandated to not go to a gym or do yoga for an entire year? That's what we're doing in our immune systems right now. We're being told, no, let it atrophy. Don't, you're not allowed to incite your immune system to do its job. All of that stems out of that change in, in that discussion. And, you know, I mean, this is the thing with doing a podcast. I could talk to you for, you know, 60 hours straight on every topic <laughs> you want to bring up. But in the end, it's a lie. What I want to say is, in Cal we have to look at California. You ran from California, so did I. I'm now in Texas. Senator Pan kept, you know, he has an agenda, and California has an agenda. And they're showing you where this all leads. At first, it's, we have to pass SB 277 to protect the immune-suppressed child. Well, then they pass that, and then next comes SB 276. And what is that? That's an immediate audit and review of any doctor that writes a medical exemption for an immune suppressed child and that just passed i think is i'm losing track of time but like a year about a year year and a half ago in california everyone was revolting against it you know especially all these parents of immune suppressed children you are going to make it impossible for me to find a doctor to write an exemption so that my child who will be injured by a vaccine can be protected you know from that program and that's exactly what they did. There was one group that, that called um, and recorded 800, I believe it was, different pediatricians saying, my child meets all the CDC requirements for an immune compromised position that they just need an exemption. Can I bring my child in and have you write an exemption from the vaccine program? 800, over 800 pediatricians all said, we don't write exemptions in our practice because this law made it that you will be under review. You will be audited the second you write one of these. And so the very guy, Senator Richard Pan, that said, oh, we're all giving up our rights to control what's injected to our body because the immune-suppressed child then passes a law immediately after that, stopping 
any doctor from writing an exemption for the immune suppressed child because the truth is, and I, I can go into a million stories why they don't actually believe that story. It's a total lie. It's an absolute sales pitch. They believe everyone should be vaccinated. In fact, one of the lawsuits we got involved with, I don't know if you remember, there's a uh, a young boy that was in Florida. He had his family had he'd been through chemo because of cancer, severe chemo in New York. His parents had had enough. He had finished his cycle of chemo, so they ran to Florida to get away from the doctor and the whole system in New York. And the doctors found out they wanted to bring him back in for a second round or third round of chemo. They found out he'd left the state and they literally got child protective services involved, found him in Florida, and they extricated the kid away from the parents back up to New York so that he could get more chemo. I think he was like 12 or 13, something like that, if I remember correctly, beyond the parents' wishes. And the kid didn't want any more chemotherapy either. And he was not showing any cancer in his body at that point because of the chemo he'd already had. But they said, but our protocol is to do another round of chemo. And so it was really interesting in that court case, before they would do the chemo, they wanted to give him a flu shot. This is a kid that has no white blood cells whatsoever. He has no immune system. You have wiped it out with chemotherapy. And the parents contacted us, the nonprofit, um, and uh, and our lawyer, who's really great at dealing with these situations. They said, we can't, a flu shot's going to kill him. And so we went in and argued in court on just that one issue saying, you know, sir, you know, to the, the judge, if this child does not represent that immune expressed child that cannot be vaccinated, then who does? And the court ruled in the kid's favor said, no, that's a really good point. And you know what? As far as I know, the um, oncologist refused to do any more chemo on a kid that wouldn't get a flu shot. So it kind of had a double bonus <laughs> uh, result. But that just shows you the mindset, right? They really, they, in his mind, his immune system is going to be so shot by the chemo, he has to get a flu shot in order to protect himself. I'm not saying these people are, they're just, their thinking is really totally backwards. Um, so... But that's the sort of the history of that line. It's not about the other children. And by the way, you know, I could go into measles stats. We all look to the big measles outbreak in California, the Disneyland outbreak. We now know that 37% of the cases that were tested, tested positive for the measles because they got it. They had vaccine strain measles. So 37% of the cases came from the vaccine. Over 50% of them were adults, meaning their vaccines had worn off, uh, their childhood vaccines. So that, you know, the vaccine isn't working. It's also causing measles. And so all of these things are what we are now suing in court. We're really involved now. And there's a lot of lies around vaccinations. Many of these vaccinations actually do not stop the spread of the virus, which is the entire purpose of a forced vaccine vaccination programs to protect the immune suppressed child. We now know, and one of the cases we're, we're really deep in is in the DTaP vaccine, diphtheria, tetanus, and acellular pertussis. It is now a known scientific fact based on studies done in 2017 that the pertussis vaccine does not stop transmission. In multiple animal studies, they've shown that when they give baboons, for instance, the vaccine, they 
only thing it does is stop them from having a cough. The next time they come in contact with pertussis, their their body colonizes it, colonizes in their lungs. They're spewing and spitting it and sneezing it all over all the other baboons. They, they'll put a healthy baboon in. That baboon always gets pertussis from the vaccinated um, baboon. The only thing it does is take away the symptom. And that's really problematic if you think about, okay, great, I don't want to have a cough. So it protects me from having that cough, but it doesn't protect me from being infected. I am still fully infected. Now, we have a lawsuit right now against GlaxoSmithKline for false advertising. People have seen, have you seen the ads in Reader's Digest and some on TV where grandma wants to visit the baby and grandma's holding the baby and suddenly hurt, she turns into the big bad wolf. It's the big <laughs> bad wolf uh, advertising campaign. And the idea being, and every grandparent knows this is happening, the grandparents are told you're not allowed to visit our baby, you know, your, your grandchild until you get a DTaP vaccine to protect the baby from pertussis. Um, and so here's what's ironic. All the vaccine does is stop you from having a cough, meaning all it does is take away the alarm that lets you know you are sick. It makes you now unaware that you are contagious. And so, whereas if your grandparents hadn't gotten the vaccine, they're going to call you and say, you know what, honey, you know, grandpa and grandma over here, we got a cough, not feeling so hot. We're not going to come over to the house and visit the baby until this passes. That would be normally what happens. Now, grandma and grandpa have no idea that they are carrying pertussis because the only thing they don't have is the cough. They come over and visit the baby. They are essentially silent assassins. You don't want your six-week-old baby getting pertussis. Let's be perfectly clear about this. But the vaccine can't protect them, and you can't give the vaccine because it's too dangerous for the baby. And so now you've done the opposite of what you should have done. Now you've just made everybody silent, contagious killers everywhere they go. And then it goes a step further. A study now, um, the known science as of 2019, is not only does it not stop transmission, if you get the DTaP vaccine, and this is, these are Boston University studies. People can go to my website and see all this. If you get the DTaP vaccine, they now know that you are primed. The vaccine's made a mistake. It went after the wrong part of the immunity. And so if you get the vaccine, you will get pertussis every, virtually every time you come in contact with it. Meaning our children who uh, they say have been primed by vaccine will experience pertussis infection more throughout their lives compared to a child who never got the vaccine. And there's no way to undo that mistake. So we're trying to get that that vaccine. We're in court suing in multiple different places saying that vaccine cannot be mandated upon children. It doesn't work and it makes children more sick throughout their lives. It must be stopped. And what's scary is the CDC knows this. The FDA knows this, and yet they still give that terrible vaccine to children uh, by five times by the time you know you're you're in your childhood. So these are just some of the things you know that we're really focused on right now. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to <laughs> that I'm trying to yeah. keep in my random <laughs> access memory and short term bandwidth. Um, I think one of the one of the things that really was shocking to me was you know being born in 1982 and having you know been fully vaccinated. My wife was not. Um, I had grown up with kids with autism, and then you know you hear about Andrew Wakefield and start diving into these things. I started diving into this before we had Bear. As just like a, let me, I've heard enough. Yeah. I've heard enough uh, rumblings from people that I find to be authentic. Uh, 
truth seekers and voices within health and wellness, you know, from yeah. Dr. Joseph Mercola to Paul Check to many, many people that have been on the show and people that I've learned from, let me dive deeper. And as I dove deeper, it really became a numbers game, right? And so like going from 10 or 11 vaccines to 72, yeah. that's a big deal. Also looking at just Western medicine in general, you know, they've got, it seems like they're literally creating diseases to, to create the pharmaceutical for it. Like I've never heard of fucking restless leg syndrome right. till late at night. Like, are you having trouble with a shaky leg at night? Yeah. You know, like take this right. pill, we'll make it go away. And it's like, oh, well, if your nervous system's fried from yeah. injecting this shit and you don't eat healthy and all of that's tied into this as well. Yes. Monsanto and big agriculture is, is the same fucking arm. It is. Well, look um, at bear. I mean, bear owns Monsanto now, right? So pharma and big ag have both come together. And now you're watching Silicon Valley move in, become a pharmaceutical company too. It's really scary. You know, the, the, the merging of these industries, making them into too big to fail. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking about, you know, the sheer numbers and the fact that, you know, Rudolf Steiner a hundred years ago had said they will create a vaccine for everything. Yeah. Right. So like, where does it end? Well, it does. It doesn't actually end. There's going to be the next important thing. There's going to be the new, you know, uh, past COVID-19. There's just going to be a vaccine for something regular, you know, like some regular childhood illness. There's going to be a vaccine for allergies. There's going to be a vaccine for seasonal shit that we all deal with. That actually, when our body learns and goes through that, we get better on the other side of that. There's a reason they used to have chicken pox parties where they'd invite every kid in town over to the kid who had chicken pox. Let's go through this together. Let's all get it at the same time. And when we come out of this on the other side, not only do we have lifelong immunity to chicken pox, but our chances of cancer go down. Our chances of a a host of different diseases actually improve because (laughs) the challenge we went through actually strengthened us for life. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's it, funny you just said that, and like I do so much talking, I was like, right, there's that cancer point. The fact all the studies, <laughs> like I was like, I haven't used that talking point in a really long time. Like every once in a while, I'm just like, right, it's a really good point, right? Huge studies, tens of thousands of people uh, in studies showing if you, you know, if a woman gets, you know, chicken pox and measles as a child naturally, then it's a reduction cuts. Um, I think it's cervical cancer in half. You know, um, no, ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer is cut in half. Heart disease is cut by it, the the most modest uh, science shows at least 10%. 650,000 people die every year from heart disease in America. If you cut that by 10%, you just save 65,000 people, right, from just, just because you let them get measles and, and mumps as a child, you know. So... Those are huge points. And it also shows you how beautiful the human immune system works, right? By blocking a natural experience of infection in our children, we see dire consequences further on in their lives. You know, vulnerabilities to cancers, um, multiple sclerosis, diabetes. I There's a really, um, to go off on another tangent, I know you're playing one other, but I, I got in a lot of trouble because I'm followed by a lot of anti-vaxxers on my show, The High Wire. But there was a um, scientist out of Boston who was doing studies using a BCG vaccine, this tuberculosis vaccine, to cure type 1 diabetes. And I was fascinated, read her articles and her studies, and it was really interesting that 
you know, BCG is a very simple raw vaccine. Uh, doesn't have adjuvants and some of the things that I'm really, really don't like the vaccines. Yeah, all that. It's really. And what was interesting about the story was the makers of BCG stopped making it in the middle of her trials, almost like they were trying to keep her from. I mean, BCG vaccine is cheap. It's like a couple bucks a pop. She would give two BCG vaccines in one month, and then three years later, type one diabetes, the body just recovers and stops. You know, having in issue and so i mean we're talking about a, a real cure for diabetes so the fda stopped you know or the company stopped making the vaccine so she learned how to make it and built the company to make the vaccine so she could continue her trials and then i was reading the fda is attacking her and the cdc is attacking her on this approach now as soon as i started seeing pharmaceutical entities attacking a scientist now I'm really curious. And so I had her on the show and um, brought her on. And I and I probably pushed it too far. My ad was, his Dell found a vaccine he likes? And <laughs> I swear, my, my, you know, three quarters of my audience was just, you know, commenting away. How could you? This is it. This is proof that Dell, you know, works for the other side. It's controlled opposition. It was always about vaccines. He was lying to us. But I mean, I was like, just hold on a second. I'm, I'm getting to a question that's really important to me. So as I, and I wish I could remember her name right now, but I don't remember the name of the scientist, but she has done five or six different trials at this point to a hundred, virtually a hundred percent success rate now, bigger and bigger trials, looking more and more at it. And so I asked her finally, I said, look, is it possible because you're doing these studies using BCG vaccine, basically in injecting tuberculosis into a human at low doses twice in one month, three years later, their body recovers and they no longer have an autoimmune disease called type 1 diabetes. I said, my understanding is in France, they're doing similar studies and having the same success. Three years after BCG vaccine, multiple sclerosis is being healed. These are supposed to be un, you know, curable issues, right? And I said, so here's my question. Is it possible, don't you have to imagine that there was a benefit to tuberculosis to the body? I mean, I get it. Some people were vulnerable, but for those that overcame it, clearly it must have been good for the immune system if, you know, you can cure type 1 diabetes. And you know what she said? Oh, that's exactly what it proves. She's like, absolutely, there's no doubt about it. She says all of the hand sanitizers, all of the vaccinations, all the things that are keeping us from priming our immune system are leading to these autoimmune diseases. So by introducing tuberculosis back to the body, that is why we're seeing the recovery of the body and healing from type 1 diabetes. Now, at that point, I think three-quarters of my audience has stopped listening, but... I was like, did you hear that, folks? Did you hear? This is a mainstream scientist that's admitting to you, you if you know, you know, wanted in the healthiest way to have come in contact with tuberculosis. And she said it was ubiquitous. There's, there's not a you know, bacteria that we know is more profound throughout the world. It was in our water, everywhere. Well, we're chlorinizing everything. We're, we're killing it. So all, we are not coming in contact with tuberculosis tuberculosis any longer and people will say but that killed people but you have to remember all of these diseases always kill a tiny percentage of people that immune systems aren't working right 
And so whether it's polio, same thing. The death rate of polio is below 1%. That whole paralysis, iron lung, it's less than 1% of the people had that experience. Most people recovered fine from polio. And that's the case for almost every illness. We look at measles. The death rate of measles in America in 1961, the year before the vaccine comes, is one out of 500,000 Americans died of measles. That's like point, I think there's four zeros before you get to your first number after a decimal point. No one knows that. They, they, they've hypersensed, you know, sensitized us to that anecdotal story, that death, that paralysis. When, and, and my theory is this, that arguably, you know, even though it's more, I think all those people that were, had immune systems that were shot, that polio really was a problem or tuberculosis, I would go ahead and guess those are the same ones being injured by vaccines. I think they're, they, we haven't fixed that problem. They are immune suppressed. They have serious problems dealing with viruses, whether it's killed, dead, injected with you know adjuvants, or they breathe it in the air. Um, so. Yeah, I forget the name of the doctor. It might have been Sherry Tenpenny. It might have been someone else. Um, years ago, I heard her on Ben Greenfield. And so one of the things she was talking about is the global effect of toxins in our environment. Mm -hmm. And she had mentioned, you know, looking again from the CDC stats available online, a sharp rise in autism rates when uh, GMO glyphosate was introduced or GMO wheat was introduced mm -hmm. in the American food supply and how it's, you know, in the past, Wakefield aside, if you were to try to pinpoint on any one thing, it'd be very hard to do. But if you yeah. look at all 72 of these, if you look at glyphosate, MSG, aspartame, and everything else that's been allowed yeah. into our fucking food and water, yeah. then you can't argue with the fact right. that there is a global effect on our DNA on a genetic level that is hampering us and hurting us and harming us. And that will be expressed differently through each person based on genetics and epigenetics. It'll be expressed differently through each person based on the level of our health when we go through these things, right? So if I'm super healthy and I get sick and I come out on the other side alive, awesome. If I'm not very healthy and I get a vaccine or if I'm not very healthy and I eat like shit, yeah, you know, because it's cheaper yeah. and it's subsidized, then are the odds going to go up that I don't survive COVID or the odds are going to go up right. if I don't, if I have injury from a vaccine for sure they are. That's just, that's very simple yeah. math to look at that. If I'm taking care of myself, but beyond that, it's really hard for a lot of people to know how to take care of themselves in times like this, because everything is everywhere. All of the toxins are everywhere. It's in the air we breathe. Yeah. It's in the in the water we drink. They're littered through everything. And uh, maybe this is a good time to get into some of the stuff with Plandemic. Obviously, Mickey is a, a friend of both of ours. Yeah. And some of this, these ideas that, you know, when you would look back at the Rockefellers as, as the, the godfather of modern medicine, the purchasing yeah. of the American Medical Association, the creation of the American Cancer Society, and also at the same time, you know, starting the green movement, you know, pushing for uh, more pesticides and herbicides, monoculture, looking at how these things tie together, it, you can't help but start to scratch your head and say, this is bigger than any one industry. Yeah. And so to sort of launch into that, I just want to go back to your point that 
we are in a toxic environment, right? And I would never say that vaccines aren't the only cause of autism. And I would guess that there's probably some natural causes, though very rare. I mean, it'd be hard to determine what is natural. What we know is autism doesn't exist really before 1938. That's when, you know, we discover, I think it's 13 children. You know, Canner, Leo Canner, the scientist, finds this really weird anomaly and he collects 13 children from around the country. And people will say, I mean, this is the big argument, right? Autism's always been here. We're just diagnosing it better. Really? I mean, that, that there's a great book called Denial by Mark Blaxel that you should read because he really challenges that. Uh, but people are traveling from all over the world, scientists and psychologists, to see these 13 strange kids that were having repetitive motion disorders and things like that. It was that rare. If it was really where we're at now, we are at one in... 34 or, or, you know, children with autism. To jump you know? in, where uh, the, I think the question Sally Fallon raised was, where are all the autistic adults? Exactly right. Where is the old folks away. home? It doesn't go away. Where one in 30 is in the corner flapping and, you know, with the, the, the known, you know, what we know to be the... the habits of, of autism they don't exist it's it's just not there we don't we don't know anybody none of our grandparents none of our aunts and uncles it doesn't exist until we get to a, a younger population now the reason i bring that up is because people say delhi should get away from autism it's a very controversial topic and the science has shown the science baloney in fact we, one of the lawsuits we've won against the cdc we proved that they cannot say the vaccines don't cause autism they've never done the proper studies to come to that decision even though we hear this thousands of studies there aren't uh, but autism, I think, is is really a fascinating study. And the truth is, is if we really cared about human health, we should be spending millions, if not billions of dollars investigating autism. Because I think it's sort of like, you know, not to d- degrade the children going through it, but it's the canary in the coal mine. Meaning when we look at autism, all the scientists I've talked to, it's now proving to be that these children, the only thing that the reason they have autism is they just can't detoxify quick enough. They don't detoxify. They don't have the ability to methylate is, is the idea. And whether it's genes, we're looking at genes that, you know, are help you detoxify toxins in your body. All autism is, is children that cannot detoxify all of the chemicals and products that are, as you pointed, in their air, in their food, in their water, in their vaccines, and something tips them over the tops, you know, usually a vaccine because the most direct delivery system of all the things you can imagine, we inject it straight into essentially the bloodstream. So it goes to brain swelling, the brain swells, and when it finally reduces swelling, they end up, you know, having issues with autism. I had a, a mother really explain it best. She said, people say vaccines don't cause autism, and she's like, they're right. The vaccine didn't cause my child's autism. The vaccine cause my child's encephalopathy, the swelling in their brain that had them screaming for two weeks straight, and then they never spoke again afterwards, and the resulting behavior is autism. The resulting behavior could have also been schizophrenia. Autism is a behavior. It's not a physical. The physical damage is the encephalopathy, the swelling of the brain, which I think is a good way for people to look at it. So let's, you know, people will come up to me to get back to your point, and they'll say, well, Dell, you, you know, you say vaccines cause autism, but 
But how do you know? They'll, they'll be really smart. Sometimes it'll be a doctor, a scientist. How do you know it's not the pesticides and herbicides that are sprayed on our on our food? Or maybe it's the you know the um, antibiotics that are injected into all the meats that we eat, or the fluoride in our water, or you know the the air quality, the pollution in our air. You know, and and I and I always say. Oh, well, just so you know, my nonprofit is investigating all of those things. And I think we should be spending millions and millions of dollars investigating everything you just brought up. But let me make this point clear. The CDC and the FDA approved every one of those products you just described, whether it's antibiotics in our meats, whether it's glyphosate sprayed over all of our, you know, 90% of our crops, whether it's fluoride in our water, our health regulatory agencies have told us all of those things are safe. So even if you're right and I'm wrong, or it's a combination of those things, or it's one of those things, the very health departments we are trusting our lives with have let us down. Our decline in health should be hung around the neck of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been at NIAID inside of the National Institute of Health for nearly 50 years now, okay? So that decline in health from 1986 at 12.8% chronic illness to now 54%, that's on his that's on his watch. That's on the watch of the CDC, the FDA, the World Health Organization, Bill Gates, and all these people that say they're making us healthier. We are seeing a dramatic decline, and so I hold you responsible. I happen to be very specifically focused on vaccines because of all the things we just talked about. They go through less safety studies than anything else. But is there a combination effect? Absolutely. Have I met children, for instance, there's a story I'll never forget, where the parents had a child injured by vaccines, had autism. They did all of the great work to detoxify their kid, changed the diet, you know, got him back to where he was back on his grade level, you know, just like Jenny McCarthy. People can say what they want about Jenny McCarthy, a powerful warrior who saved her child, healed her child, and then helped others learn that you could heal your child of autism just a really incredible person and this is one of those families that had brought their child got him back to his grade level he was doing great for three or four years i think he was in like fourth or fifth grade and one day they came downstairs and their child's under the under the kitchen table and he's flapping and he's you know his head's bobbing and he's got repetitive motion disorders like full severe autism all of a sudden, years they hadn't seen any, anything, any signs of that. So they called the school and they said, "What's happening? What you know? Did did someone feed him something? Did he, you know?" They're like, "No, no, nothing that we know of." And then the teacher, they kept asking questions. He says, "Well, there was a fluorescent light bulb fell in the classroom yesterday, and the janitor just came and swept it up and cleaned it up." And there's like with the kids in the room, they're like, "Yeah," and there you have it, right? That that child couldn't handle that what that light dose of mercury that we know is inside of that light bulb for everybody else in the class fine this was a very fragile child who they were you know holding him in a stasis through diet and but as soon as he breathed in that vapor and the sad part of the story this was 5 years prior this is he's never we never got him back and he's been fully autistic ever since so those are the types of things that make you realize Wow, you know, I think about when we were kids, when we were just breaking fluorescent light bulbs all over mm -hmm. each other, and you know, who knows where some of those kids I was playing with are at, or who knows what my future health is going to be because of things we didn't know anything about. Yeah, and that's tough. Uh, it's really tough hearing that. Um, just to 
just imagining that with my kids, yeah. you know, to, to go through something like that. I had a, a super close friend of mine that I started hanging with who had a younger brother. I've known him since I was 10 or 11 and his younger brother had autism. And one of the things his parents would do would be to, anytime we had sleepovers, they'd have a group of the autistic kids come over. Cause you know, we were all jocks and, um, for better or worse, you know, the parents recognized us as, as like, Hey, people look at you. You gotta, you gotta see these people too. So you're inclusive and you're not a bully or an asshole when you come across one cool. of these kids. And it was a really powerful experience. And we got to see, you know, people all over the spectrum, uh, when we do these sleepovers and, you know, they're probably four or five years younger than us, but I, I'm just reliving that in my mind, seeing if that was your kid and to get them back for a number of years and then to have full reversion just like that they're taken from you again yeah um brutal yeah well i I know we're uh we i don't want to keep you all day long but i do want to i did want to bring up a little bit more on the covid19 yeah yeah the pandemic and we sort of got off yeah yeah. Yeah. you 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 recently had a doctor something that's very pressing right now and i for sure want to have you back on again because this (laughs) we're we're not out of the weeds on any of this stuff yet no no um the doctor you had run recently was talking a bit about this twin pandemic, the twin-demic, yeah. and how everywhere you go now, I mean, I was just at fucking Costco, and they've got the little stand there for the flu shot. Yeah. The last time I had the flu was 2012, and it was when I was going through EMT school to become a firefighter. What else happened that year? Well, I had to get a full round of vaccinations again in order to be a nationally registered EMT, including the flu vaccine. Yeah. That's the last time I had the flu. So let's. I'd love for you to unpack a bit of that, Yeah, the push for the flu vaccine, the stats on COVID-19 actually impacting you if yeah. you've had a flu vaccine. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had Dr. Jim Meehan on the show who's written some great papers on this. It's it's The flu vaccine is one of the worst vaccines ever made. It's totally ineffective. Uh, and what we showed is huge studies. There's a study, I think it was 250 million cases they looked at uh, throughout Europe and found that when they really broke it down, there was no proof that people that got the flu shots did any better with the flu than those that didn't. So it's totally ineffective. Let's start there. The thing doesn't work. And then you have people that say exactly what you did. I The only time I got the flu was when I got the vaccination. And what we see in multiple studies now is that People who get the flu shot, there's a great study out of Japan that really had a placebo group. One group got the flu shot, the other group got a saline injection. They didn't know which one they got, and they followed these people through a flu season. They found that those that got the flu vaccine had the same rate of flu as those that didn't get the vaccine. So it was totally ineffective. But what was shocking was that those that got the vaccine had four times, 400% increase in other upper respiratory infections, being rhinovirus and other um, illnesses and pneumonia, four times the rate of those that didn't get vaccinated, showing us that the vaccine makes you more vulnerable to other issues, and it's not protecting you from the flu. And so uh, there's a study just last year out of our military, um, really big study of military personnel. They tracked who got flu shots and who didn't, and they found a 36% increase in coronavirus amongst those that got the vaccine compared to those that didn't. So again, another other respiratory condition um, and really obviously uh, pertinent to now because this is a coronavirus. COVID-19 is a coronavirus. And so to see media 
and doctors and the CDC and the FDA saying, get out and get your flu shot because of COVID-19, it's like they're marching people to the slaughter. I mean, you are you know for a fact that the science shows an increased risk of coronavirus infection if they get this flu shot. And the argument being, well, I mean, it's the twindemic. It's the perfect storm of flu season along with COVID-19 at the same time. Truth is, is flu and coronavirus always, that's the, se- the season coincides. In fact, we've really never done a very good job, and we know this scientifically, to determine if it was all flu or coronavirus or rhinovirus. Like the overlap for the most part, if you're symptomatic, we've kind of always called everything the flu. There's some people that actually get tested for the flu. But even then, when you look at, you know, you could argue all sides of this, the years that they actually tried to go and test people that died of flu, they found that like, you know, it was less than 1% that were diagnosed with the flu actually tested positive for the flu, meaning they had something else and doctors just called it the flu. So we're really in a very gray space on all of this. Um, But the science I'm pointing out is accurate. That's when we do look at it, flu vaccine doesn't protect you. They'll say it's 10% effective or 20% effective, which is terrible. Who takes any product that's only 10% effective? I don't know. And then you take on the risks, the known risks of Guillain-Barre syndrome, paralysis and all of these, and you just add to this problem. And so there's, you know, guys like Mickey and I and you will sit around quietly asking ourselves, is this how they're going to get a second wave? Are they going to create a second wave by making people vulnerable that wouldn't normally be vulnerable by getting flu shots. We're going to take the healthy people, which is, remember, COVID-19 is only deadly for 0.26% of the population, a quarter of 1%. 99.74% of us clear coronavirus without you know, serious consequences, meaning our immune systems are 99.74% effective currently at beating COVID-19. We're being told that one of these vaccines is being rushed, one of the most dangerous vaccines ever attempted, being rushed onto the market, that the FDA will accept it if it's 50% effective. Why am I going to take a product It's 50% effective when my body is 99.74% effective. Like these are the things that people need to start asking themselves. But the flu shot is a serious mistake, um, especially in elderly, which is where they're going to say the risk is, right? All of the elderly should get a flu shot. All the science, really all the decent science shows that the flu shot doesn't work on elderly people. Their immune systems are not triggered by the shot. It does nothing. All it does is is bring risk and the risk of other upper respiratory conditions. So these are things we talk about. This is known science. I'm not making this up. This is really where we're at. And, you know, of course, but this all gets back to the question you said is Mickey Willis, pandemic. you know, we, we debate this, he and I, um, I don't know that I believe that this was all planned. I believe there was a plan. I believe that things were being planned. My personal theory uh, is that, and it's just sort of, it's just based on my observation of humanity that, you know, I've been interviewing people my whole lives as Mickey has. Um, 
But I feel like if this was planned, there would have been a vaccine ready to go. Um, now, I've been traveling the world talking about everything I've discovered through our investigations of vaccines. And I've been saying on stages, you know, you, anyone can look it up. I keep saying to populations before this year, pharma is going to attempt to take over the world. I believe they're going to push some sort of pandemic. There's going to be some virus or something because they need to scare the population to compliance. Why? Because they're not satisfied just vaccinating children. They want to vaccinate every adult, every Every human on the planet. They want full control over our bodies. And I, I've said it over and over again. Pharma is the most powerful lobby in Washington. They're outspending oil and gas two to one. We fight wars in the Middle East for the amount of money that is poured into Washington by oil and gas. What is pharma going to get spending twice that? These are the points that I've been making. And they're pouring that money into every nation in the world. And just uh, in beginning of February, I was in Narcopolco, and I said to the audience, you think your issues is Federal Reserve Banking? You think it's – you are about to lose the greatest right you have, and that's control over your own body. Trust me. They're going to take over the governments of the world and force you to be vaccinated. And then along comes this pandemic. So – uh, the writing was on the wall. This was coming. I actually think that it's a good sign for those of us that have been really stepping up and voicing our issues um, that I think we made them jump the gun. This is the greatest Goliath there ever was. This is we this. You talk about world wars where you had countries fighting each other. This is a total and complete global takeover by pharma right now. There's only one nation really in the entire world, Sweden, that says, screw you. We're not locking down. We're not wearing masks. We don't care about the vaccine. We're going business as usual. It's the only country in the world not going through a second wave. That is, their dance clubs are open. Their bars are open. Nobody can explain it except any decent scientist that says that's what we always did. We always let the virus run its course. You'll have those that are really sick die. The rest of us develop herd immunity, usually about 20% of the population because we all had a coronavirus last year. And most of us are going to have cross-reactive immunity, which is all that's proving to be true about this. But this takeover of the world was in action. But I think, you know, there is event 201 and pandemic really shows you how well and again, how this is scripted down to the news, down to the fact that people aren't wearing masks. And they had these fake newscasts going on while they're practicing their emergency situations over a weekend with event 201 and others like it. So, yes, they were planning for this. I think that they were either hoping that we would have Ebola cross the border with somebody come into the country, and they were much further. In fact, I think they consider themselves having having an Ebola vaccine ready to go, or Zika, or something like that. But that isn't what happened, and I think that Bill Gates and there was a huge meeting. All I've done shows on all of this uh, at the WHO in December. You can look up that show. It's brilliant. We have all the inside behind the scenes footage of the WHO meeting last December. And the entire meeting for three days was how do we stop vaccine hesitancy? How do we stop this spread of a concern of the safety of vaccines? And they admit things in that meeting that we have been dreaming about them actually saying in public for a very long time. But that meeting was just in December. How do we stop it? Well, a pandemic really comes in handy. You make people so afraid that their only answer is a vaccination program. And that's what I believe this has always been about. I just think 
that they jumped the gun. I think that they wanted a virus they had a vaccine for, but they saw, I think Bill Gates, who's a huge player, if not the leading player in all of this, I think he saw this little virus. It looked like a cold, but maybe a little more dangerous. Maybe it was going to be a bad cold coming out of China. And they said, let's seize on this. Let's make this our moment. Let's make this the once in a century virus and terrify the world. We can doctor the numbers. We'll just simply make everybody that dies with COVID-19 dying from COVID-19, that accelerates the numbers by 90%, makes them 90% higher than they would have been or you know, somewhere in there. We think about, someone's going to question my math and go and do the math. I'm sort of, I'm, you know, what we know is that only 6% of people in America that die with the COVID-19 only died of only COVID-19. Uh, the other 94% have at least 2.5 serious comorbidities like heart disease, COPD, diabetes, they're on their deathbeds uh, for the most part anyway. So I think they jumped the gun. They're, they've had to try and sell a cold as being deadly uh, because they were running out of time. Too many people were really starting to ask the right questions about vaccines. And ironically, I, I think it's going to work in our favor anyway. This, this drive for a vaccine, uh, you now have Donald Trump going warp speed. You have Democrats now who are usually very pro-vaccine saying that's a dangerous vaccine and now suddenly this conversation has opened up. It's what uh, me and Bobby Kennedy and others like us have been trying to get people to understand. Vaccines are not just naturally safe and effective. They can be very deadly and very dangerous for certain groups of people. And But there was this myth around it, right? It was protected by this idea that all vaccines are safe and effective. If you really stop and think about that statement, it defies all reason, yet it's the religion we grew up with. It's it like, defies all medicine. It defies it all medicine. Tylenol kills yeah, people. There's, absolutely. There's, there's not yeah. a single thing pharma has ever made that doesn't kill somebody. So now, because they're rushing a vaccine and it's become political we are finally hearing people and new york times who usually attacks me cnn who usually attacks me calls me out as being dangerous they're using my talking points now talking about the dangers of the polio vaccine that it caused polio in the cutter incidents for for tens of thousands of people that it caused cancer because of the simian retrovirus that got into the early polio vaccine that rushing vaccines can be a very dangerous game and the truth is is they've all been rushed i mean when this is all done what we will show the world is you think the covid19 vaccine is bad where do you see what you're injecting into your kids you know and so I'm really positive. I mean, think about we could go on for days, but I want to leave on this. So many people bring all the fear, the tracking. We could get into social tracking and, you know, the the surveillance of humanity. But I believe these are all the final, you know, desperate acts of a dying regime. There's a control structure that has been dreamed about since Nazi Germany. They didn't go away. They just slowed down and said, you know what, instead of squashing media, let's buy up all the media. Let's control the narrative. Let's control government officials. Let's slowly, you know, get to the place where people will turn each other in for not wearing a mask, for instance, and call the police on each other or attack each other. Um, we are seeing that, but we are also seeing a huge revolution of thought right now, a huge growth spurt in most of the intelligent people that are starting to finally ask the right questions. How is a vaccine made safe? How do you rush a vaccine? How could it be safe even if it comes out next year? 
you know, when I see AstraZeneca saying, no, you have to protect us from liability because we don't know what the vaccine is going to do to you four years from now. What? Why is AstraZeneca, you know, worried about four years from now? Well, because that's about how long the autoimmune diseases most vaccines, you know, cause. That's how long they take to develop. And so I think all of this is going to end up being a benefit. But we are going to see martial law. We're going to see this establishment that now owns your politicians, owns, you know, the government trying to, you know, force its will upon us. Um, this is the freedom fight of our time. This We have a founding father's moment now. If you know this is wrong and you're wearing that mask against your will, you better stop complying. You better stand up and say, wait a minute, didn't my founding fathers tell me that not only am I allowed to defy a law that takes away my civil liberties, but I'm required to do so. I think that's the position we find ourselves in now. And these, this vote, this election coming up is crucial. People really need to start asking their politicians the right questions. And any politician says that they believe in a mandated vaccine program. Just realize that that decision, whether you're pro-vaccine or not, you are essentially saying that your body is simply property of the U.S. government. If you believe in mandating vaccines or mandating anything injected into you, then you have just reduced your position in this country to a farm animal. You now have no say over what's injected into you or injected into your children. You have given up every right we know in our Constitution and our amendments. I mean, it's over. That's game over. And I say that to everybody, whether you believe in vaccines or not, please recognize your history. Do you realize what Hitler would have loved to have just had an automatic program where he can inject every person in Germany with whatever he wanted when he wanted? He didn't have to tell you what he was injecting into you or whether it was a different you know, set of vaccines for one group of people compared to the other. I mean, I, I find it shocking to have come from California where, I mean, you were there, right? We have African-Americans in California that think that that Trump is a white supremacist. You have Latinos that think that he doesn't want Latinos alive. He'd send them to war in Mexico or die in Guatemala. We don't care. He has no concern for them as people. We have gays, bi's, lesbians, transgender that believe that Trump would just like to see them all dead, right? I mean, these are real statements, right? Now, I'm not going to justify or verify those statements, but what it shows us is that we have a population that believes that they have just elected a bad actor. And then there's others that would have thought Hillary Clinton would be the most dangerous person on earth. So we have a recognition that we either have elected a bad actor or we could someday elect someone that really does not have our self-interest or even our lives um, as a concern. So then why in California, where the greatest body of people that think like that, why is that the first state to take away your right to to, to deny injections by the government. I mean, let's be perfectly clear. Donald Trump puts the head of the CDC into their job. You don't elect them. He does, and or any president. Let me take him personally out of it because I'm just using his, his example. The president puts into power the head of the CDC, puts into power the head of the FDA, puts into power the head of the EPA, puts into power the head of the National Institute of Health. These are all the people that are going to decide what you're injected with. So essentially, that syringe is in the hands of the elected president of the United States. So for everyone out there that's anti-Trump and pro-vaccine, I say, you better get your head screwed on. 
If you distrust Trump as much as you say, why are you putting a needle in his hand to inject into your child? That makes no sense. For me, I'm not afraid of Donald Trump, but I am afraid. And I do believe that we are capable of electing someone that will not see every citizen in this country as equal. And God knows what they would do with the vaccine program if that's the case. Dell, it's been powerful having you on the uh, having you on the podcast today. I mean, I'm blown away, brother. We will for sure do this again. All right. Thank you so much, my man. Awesome, brother. Yeah, thank you for the work that you do. Yeah. We will link to all your stuff in the show notes. Dell Big Trees Highwire. Uh, where can people find you online? The best thing, go to thehighwire.com and please just sign up to our email list. We have our YouTube channel. We've been censored. They took away our YouTube channel just a few weeks ago uh, because they're saying that the things that we are saying and telling you the truth about the science we're showing is somehow dangerous to humanity. Um, if that makes you curious, please go to thehighwire.com and just sign up to our email list. Facebook is threatening to take us down too, but we're building a very robust website. People can always watch the show. You can find our whole catalog there. But currently, if you're a big Facebook fan, we're still on Facebook and DLive and um, Float.TV. And now we're on um, Roku. Uh, we're going live on Roku, which is a lot of fun. So you can find the high wire uh, in most of those places. But we're really asking people to sign up because this really is um, going to come down to a, the, the lines have been drawn. There's a battle for humanity. It's a spiritual battle. It's, it's, it's very important that we all be in the right place at the right time. And I think there's going to be moments where we're going to need to mount the type of audiences, the hundreds of thousands of people in one place like we're seeing in Germany now standing up against, if there's a country that understands what it's like to lose, you know, personal powers, Germany, and you see the numbers that they're showing up for their marches, England, tens of thousands of people. We need to start mounting that type of an offensive um, against uh, this tyranny by our government, the pharmaceutical industry, and Silicon Valley, all of these controls. And so when those moments happen, Bobby's there. We're all, you know, going and speaking these things. But I think there's going to be a moment where we need to stand together at one time. And uh, it'd be really nice to be able to call, email everybody and say, today's the day. Hell yeah, brother. All right, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. Absolutely. <laughs>